like there's always like a big um, lag when we actually hit start recording for yes. whatever reason. And I'm yes. not really sure why, but. I always just have that moment of fear that suddenly we've disconnected and it's gone. You know, it's fine. Okay, so the question becomes, mm-hmm. I'm skipping ahead a little in our normal routine. Skip ahead. Um, do I want to drink natural lime White Claw or raspberry White Claw first? I thought you were going to say, do I want to drink natural light? And I was like, no. Yeah, do I want a casual natty light? <laughs> um, okay, so it was lime or raspberry? Yeah. I'd say lime. It's just extra refreshing, you know? Okay. That was my inclination, too. I think citrusy drinks are extra refreshing. I agree. In my own personal opinion. How are you? That's why Shandies are the best. Well, um, I'm I'm good. I uh, My head has been, you know, the same. <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, I have, I'm sitting in a pitch black room, save for a lava lamp and a candle. And tomorrow is the spookiest day of the year. So I'm feeling that. And I have it off work. So I think I'm just going to nice. stay home and like watch spooky movies. Cause we still only have one car. So it's not even like I can go anywhere. Right. And Dylan is still in a Nilchik. So I think I'm right. just going to get the big cat and I'm just going to watch spooky movies alone all day tomorrow. And it's going to be great. That does sound pretty nice. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. I think I'm going to watch Lake Mungo, because I've heard that that's spooky from Sweet Max. I don't know what that is, but I am excited for you. Yeah. I don't really know what it is either. I've just seen Max be like, this movie is spooky. <laughs> You're like, done and done. It's like, that's all okay. the recommendation this kid needs. I'm in. Yeah, we watched, uh, we watched, shit, what's it called? Like, I'm buried in a hole or there's a pole in the forest or something. I don't know. It's like an Irish spooky movie. Sounds um, terrifying. Oh God, what is it called? There's there's a there there's a hole in the ground or the hole in the ground, something Shit. like that. And um we watched it because BuzzFeed Wait, is that posted, the name and not you yeah. describing what's happening? No, that's the name of the movie. That's why I like oh. can't remember what it is. Because it's like something it's, I was like, it's you like, watched it. Is there a hole or not? No, it's like a Fallout Boy length title, you know, oh, where like all of their I songs see. are like a paragraph long for the title. Yeah. Um, we watched that on Sunday, and uh, we watched it because BuzzFeed put some article out that was like, "This is the scariest movie, and people are turning it off because it's too much." And me and Evan and Dylan were all like, "Bitch!" So we watched it, and it was not very scary. It was good, but it was not very scary. Those are the exact BuzzFeed articles that I just skim past and keep on going. Oh, man. See, I, yeah, it's, it was good. I mean, it was spooky, but it definitely wasn't scary. But it was fun because, like, there's, like, a little Irish kid in it. And, like, hearing a kid speak Irish accent is one of the greatest joys of my life. Hearing kids in, speak in accents. is great. It's, it's so the best. hilarious. Little bitty and I love it. It's the best. I know. It's it doesn't so matter what accent. It's the best. Yeah. Man, kids are the best. Yeah. And also, like, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Like, I want... No, but they're really funny. I want everyone around me to have kids. Sure. So that I can just kind of just... Like, I don't know how to interact with kids, you know? They say I'm things really that aren't words. 
I know you're really good at it. And I, I well, don't understand when they say things that aren't words, you just pretend like it's a word and you're like, tell me about it. Oh God. I'm just so awkward about it. I guess I could, I guess it would be kind of like when I talk to Greg though. A hundred percent, but don't curse at them. Right. And I probably shouldn't tell them that I'm going to throw them away. No. So maybe okay. like 80%. Okay. So like if I rolled back talking to Greg, it's like if I'm talking to Ellie. There you go. Yeah. Okay. That hmm. was whenever Trevor was meeting my nieces and nephew for the first time. He was nervous about how to talk to little, little kids. Cause he's never really been around little, little kids. And I was like, they're people just talk to them like people. Yeah. And then we hung out with my family and my brother and his wife absolutely talked to their tiny children like they're people. And they're just like, hey, st- stop that. Don't. I mean, that's great. Don't do that. That's how you should do it. Yeah. They're people. It also helps because your nieces and your nephew, too, via photos, are so cute. Man, they're the best. When my niece, Tate, learned what her belly button was around that time we went out to eat at my favorite burger place and she went up to every table in the place and like like show and tell shock and awe just threw her shirt up and showed everyone her I mean entire (laughs) chest and belly and my sister followed behind her and was like we just learned about our belly button we're really excited and everybody was like yeah I get it and wow, she was just so stoked to flash every table. It was the best. That's so funny. That's so best. funny. And see, like, yeah, that's that's that good shit about kids where like they just they don't give a shit. They're just little drunk adults, and I love yeah. it. And she only spoke Spanish at the time, so it was just extra good. That's even better. Yep. The word for wow. belly button is ombliguito. Just ombliguito. Oh my god, fun. <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time. Wow. Anyway. Um Welcome to Babetown, Taylor. Welcome to Babetown, Regan. Thanks. Um, it feels good to be I have a question here. for you. Yeah, hit me. When was your babe born? Slash babe was- you're drinking wine. I am drinking wine. Who are we kidding? Box wine. Good. One of these things Great can last news. me like eight episodes. <laughs> oh it's still your same boxed wine oh yeah four bottles come on it's a good time boxed wine Um, is four bottles worth of wine four bottles and it's usually like that's so much twenty dollars it lasts what are you kidding me yes the expensive damn dude maybe i should start buying boxed wine because they're all airtight so the wine doesn't go bad so you can literally have it for weeks this is wow. why I drink box wine. Um, anyway, so uh, my babe was born in 1833. <laughs> when was your babe born? 1911. So you're Ooh. going first. Okay, settle in. Settle in. Okay, great. Taylor, do you know the story of Kate Warren? Warren? Almost. Like War- future president? No. W-A-R-N-E. So almost. Oh. Warren. Like like worn, like I'm worn out. Yes, but with an A. So you're worn out. And an E. Okay. Anyways. No, this is me saying no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. 
So, <laughs> our our good pal Kate Warn. Uh, she was born in 1833 in a place called Erin, New York, like the female Erin, E-R-I-N, New York. Cute. And literally, that's all we know about her childhood and early life. Love it. Love <laughs> it. I love that shit. There's not a lot of information on Kate. And the information we do have is the same information on every website and article and mm-hmm. book. And so I read quite a few. And then after like the sixth one was just the same information. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. So, so we know what we know and that's all we know. Okay. Great. Uh, so 1856, Kate is 23 years old and a widow apparently. And she she does a little waltz into uh, a certain Alan Pinkerton's detective agency in Chicago. And she's all. Oh, me. damn. Yep. Cool. Yep. She's I was like, telling Hi. Evan yesterday that um, I was telling him that it's always the most fun for me listening to your story, trying to figure out like, OK, what did this lady do? <laughs> like, like last week when you did um, Suzanne, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm pretty sure she's a scientist. And then you were like, and then she was fucking painters. I was like, and oh shit. Crazy. Okay. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> I love, so this is the only medium. Every time I watch movies, anytime I do anything, I'm like, oh, I see this plot playing out. I know how this ends. Like blah, 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 blah. I just like, try and figure out the end of everything and then we get in here and you right. start telling me a story and I'm like wow yeah yeah sorry anyway we're so right. early into your story for me to be <laughs> taking okay. it off the rails already it's a short story, it's a short story. <laughs> uh so okay so she doops into Pinkerton's detective agency and she's like hello I'd like a job and Pinkerton was like oh my gosh you bet I'm sure that you'll be a dope secretary and she was like <laughs> <laughs> no 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 amazing she was like i'm gonna be a detective and pickerton was like uh actually it's not quote customary for a woman to be a detective and she was like you bet it isn't and that's why it's a great idea <laughs> and she gave him four reasons why she should be a detective one no one would suspect a woman as a detective smart smart two she could get in good with the mothers and the girlfriends of suspects and get info Double Three, smart. men love to brag to women so she could just get confessions from dudes. God, triple smart. Triple smart. And four, this one's a quote, worming out secrets in many places which would be impossible for a male detective. Boom. Wow. Ba-da-boom. She really has the quad smart going. Quad smart. And uh, Pinkerton was like, wow, that's quad smart. So he hired her and she was the first lady Pinkerton detective. Wow. Some say that she's the first detective ever, but that feels hasty. Yeah, Maybe definitely. The first, like, Western detective or something yeah. or the first like, you know, PI, but that feels pretty aggressive. You I know? mean, how is that even possible? Because, or because I mean, the Pinkerton agency was already a thing, right? Yes. They're saying first female. Female detective. There yes, it is. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm I was sorry. like, that first can't female. be true. <laughs> okay. 
but I also feel, and maybe it is, and it's just a big old bummer that it took until 1856, but. Jeez, yeah, that seems real late. Somebody had to have been detecting on their own, you know? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, 1858, she is getting to know a woman named Mrs. Maroney, because apparently she has no first name because she's married and it's 1858. Right. Uh, So Mrs. Maroney is chatting it up with Kate. And literally just told her a bunch of info about how her husband had stolen $50,000. You want to guess how much that is today? So much. You're not wrong. I bet it's, I bet it's like, do you actually know? You know how I much do. It is? I wrote it down. I bet it's like $120,000. So much more. Really? How so much, much more. more. It is $1,648,769.23 today. Wow. Yeah. What was $50,000? Yes. Over $1.5 million today. Jeez. Over $1.6 million. Excuse me. Um, inflation's a bitch, man. Inflation's a bitch. <laughs> this is why I have four jobs. Anyways point is right yeah seriously so kate became friends with mrs and she literally just told her mrs told kate about how her husband stole 1.6 million dollars from the adams express company equity fund and so she gathered up all that info that mrs just spilled out they convicted mr and he was able to return over $30,000 and then spent 10 years in jail. So this kicks off her detective work as the only lady wow. detective. So eighteen. That's quite the start. Right? She's just like yeah, off the bat. The start. Like, here's a whole bunch of money. You're welcome. Um, 1861, the Pinkerton Agency was hired to look into some um secessionist activity because you know coming up on the civil war and so Mm -hmm. they're looking into all of these threats to the maryland railroad but as they soon discovered all of that was a decoy and the actual plot was to assassinate abraham lincoln so Mm. pinkerton dispatched five detectives to baltimore including kate And Kate was the one who uncovered the entire plot. So she takes on this personality of a Southern secessionist lady who had a thick Southern accent and flirted copiously. She named herself either Mrs. Cherry or Mrs. M. Barley. I don't know where these come from. Oh. Um, But she went to all their fancy, like, hooray for the South parties and got all the hot goss from the women whose husbands were the suspects because they literally just told her the plan of how they were going to kill the president of the United States. That's amazing. It's so good. They're like, oh, that's amazing because I love that her like, I I love that her like initial, Hey, this is why you should hire me was 100% accurate. She was a hundred percent right. And good guy Alan Pinkerton was like, wow, that's a really good, those are all really good points. Let's go, let's go fuck some people up. One, two. And she's like, you bet. <laughs> and they high-fived and they skipped away. Ugh, it's so good. Wow. So 
So Lincoln was on his way to D.C. for his inauguration. They wanted to take him out before his inauguration. Um, and okay. he had to switch trains in Baltimore. And it required like a mile-long carriage ride from one of the train stations to the other. So they were going – they were going to um, – when he was still in the first train station in the lobby, they were going to break in a fight outside so that all of his security would have to run out and break up the fight. And then they were going to like gang up on him and just murder. Um, and then they were going to hop in a boat and motor on home to their slaves and general shittiness. Um, right. So they tell Kate all of this. And I imagine she laughed and laughed and kept hanging out and then immediately went to Pinkerton and was like, listen, these people are shitty and here's how they're going to be shitty. And then other detectives, the other ones that went to Baltimore, were able to corroborate her story. So they all brought it to Lincoln and he was like, no, 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 it's cool. They probably won't do that. To which Alan and Kate were like, no, no, yes, they absolutely will do that. They really love having slaves and being shitty. And you're planning on putting a stop to that. So... Like, they love it so much. They love it so much that they want to kill you before your president officially inaugurated, you know. Anyway, so they finally convince good guy Abe. Wow. And Kate basically arranged the plan to secure him safely to D.C. So she wraps his arm and she dresses the incredibly tall Abe Lincoln to look sickly and asked the train conductor to secure the last car for her and her insanely tall uh, invalid brother and please leave them alone so that he wouldn't infect the rest of the train. And the conductor's like, you betcha, let's not infect anyone. So they like made Lincoln stoop over and gave him a cane and threw a coat over him. And Pinkerton and Kate rode the train with a Lincoln in the back. And she apparently slept none that night, which coined the Pinkerton phrase that like they were known by basically on their business card quote we never sleep there is a dope logo that I'm going to post wow. a picture of it's so cool but it's because of Kate that the Pinkerton logo was we never sleep or phrase Dang. yeah so they sneak him off the train to a different earlier train he makes it to DC he's inaugurated the rest went pretty well for a while and then it went really bad really fast. But that's his story, not Kate's. Um, right. So uh, Alan Pinkerton names Kate female superintendent of detectives. Um, during the war, the Civil War, she posed as Pinkerton's wife multiple times to gain info for um, Major George McClellan, who'd hired them. Don't worry. He was on the union side. Everything's good. Um, good news. I know. I looked it up because I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> he, they were hired out because they're an agency. Oh, no. Union side. We're good. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, she went on to become, quote, Mrs. Potter, who coaxed a confession out of a murderer's wife in Mississippi. She became Lucille, a fortune Whoa. teller. What? Just that's cool shit. It's so cool. She just became all of the. OK, OK, OK. So she becomes Lucille, who's a fortune teller. And she unveiled a plot to poison a man named Captain Summer. And she just kept taking on all of these aliases and knocking it out of the park. So Pinkerton named her the head of a new branch of formerly unheard of female detectives. 
Wow. I know. I love it. He's like, wow, this is working really well. Let's get a whole bunch more. So good. So good. Uh, the quote that he told all of those female detectives when he hired them was, quote, in my service, you will serve your country better than on the field. I have several female operatives. If you agree to come aboard, you will go in training with the head of my female detectives, Kate Warren. She has never let me down. Yes. Kate. Oh. Yes, Kate. Wow. Big fan. Um, 1868. She died of pneumonia or congestion of the lungs. And Pinkerton had her buried in his family plot in Chicago, along with other oh detectives. I know. She's, like, given this spot, although her name was misspelled on the tombstone, so that's a bummer. Um, also, I really want to go find well, her grave. Really, really badly. Because I think it's a cemetery that's pretty close to me. I think dang. it's... Yeah, you should between, absolutely do that. I think it's the one between here and Trevor's job. So I think I'm going to go find her soon. Anyway, um, zero photos exist of her. There is one painting and... I mean, honestly, like, it makes me even doubt. So, basically, she was so good at her job that she was almost lost to history. And it makes me wonder, like, was she a 23-year-old widow when she walked into Pinkerton's office? Or was she a 19-year-old that wanted to detect and came up with the story and everybody believed it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how are we to know if any of this is real or if she was just like, you know what, this will get me a job because she was smart, real smart. What's smart. Uh, and yeah, that's the story of Kate Warren, the first female Pinkerton detective, short, sweet, badass to the point. So good. Boom, boom, boom. Wow. Yeah. I love that. That was I great. I'm a big fan of her and I tried to find more info on her, but it's just not there and that's okay. Because she was dope at her job. In a very brief source my shit, Wikipedia, obviously. The article at All That's Interesting was written by a woman named Annie Garau, I think is how you pronounce her name. It was very informative. And then there was a uh, article on a website called Museum Hack, written by a woman named Kayla Mahoney. And in her article... <laughs> When she was talking about Kate getting Lincoln to his inauguration, she said that Lincoln stayed sexy and didn't get murdered. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I was wow. like, oh, Kayla, me too. It was fresh. Wow. Yeah. And literally every wow. article had the exact same info. So, you know. Yeah. That's, that's great. Kate Warney. It was a good time. I enjoy her and her stories. Yeah. Uh, your well, turn. Okay. Um, mine might not be short and sweet. That's um, okay. I left a lot of it on the table because there is so much that this lady did. So we're going to do kind of a, a quick look at Ethel Payne. Oh, the name Ethel. Do you know Ethel Payne? I don't. I'm so glad and also bummed that you don't know Ethel Payne. Born 87 years old. 
Ah, oh, I wish, right? Isn't the name Ethel the Ethel, cutest man. name? It's, it's just... It's the most, like, old lady name I've ever heard in my life, and I loved... Immediately felt picture that eventually like at some point in her life yeah at some point in her life she was like a six-year-old named ethel can you imagine a six-year-old with their little bitty voice saying their own name and it was ethel oh oh my god wow so cute precious so cute okay so ethel Payne was born august 14th 1911 in south chicago so yeah. we're doing kind of chicago-y Chicago ones this week, which is fun. It's a cool um, place. So it is a cool place. So Ethel's grandparents, she was born in 1911. Her grandparents had been slaves until the end of the civil war, which like, Ooh. what the fuck? Like, like that feels so long ago. And then when you actually look at it broken down, like in families like this it's not that long nope at all at all i read that and i was like oh my god wow (laughs) wow it's just and then you think about all the people Um, in the south that didn't tell their slaves and they were so secluded that the slaves didn't know so after they were free for years and years and years they were still living like can ah yeah people are shitty continue um so, when she was 12, her dad passes away um, to make ends meet while raising six kids, including Ethel. Her mom opens up their house as a boarding school and starts teaching Latin. So, she was like, Dang. she was like the original Hey Arnold. <laughs> that's like all I could think of is like, that's exactly Hey Arnold. I mean, there was so much Latin in Hey Arnold. It was difficult to follow. So much Latin. Man, if you did, <laughs> you learned so much. Yeah, you know. Um, so Ethel is like a voracious reader. She's reading all, all the time. In 1948, Ethel, so we're jumping ahead. That's like basically all that I could find about her early life. Um, More than I knew Which about is fine Kate because Warden. she goes on to do, yeah, yeah. She goes on to do so much that it's like kind of, find that we can gloss over her early life so 1948 at this point she is uh almost 40 um she goes to japan and begins working for the army special services club and that is kind of how her journalism career begins so in 1950 she begins to cover the treatment of black people during the korean korean war so um when i say cover though she was writing in her journal and that's about it but she was like writing about how President Truman ordered for troops to be integrated, but General McCarthy basically said, fuck that. That guy sounds great. Um, She wrote about how babies were being abandoned because they had black and Japanese parents and how black troops were constantly being harassed with racial slurs. Like she's just writing it all down in her journal. Eventually she shows this journal to Alex Wilson, who's a Korean war reporter and he passes it along to the Chicago Defender, which was a newspaper that was geared yeah, towards Defender. black communities. So these excerpts from her journal catch the eye of the editor of the Defender. And by 1951, so she starts writing in 1950. By 51, she's a full-time reporter for the Chicago Defender. Yes. Amazing. 
Yeah. So James McGrath Morris, let's talk a little bit about the defender. Um, okay. He is her biographer. So he's like kind of the expert on Ethel Payne. Um, he called it, quote, America's black newspaper. It was mostly circulated outside of Chicago and especially for Southern readers in a pre slash what would become current civil rights movement era. It was essential because it was reporting on issues and news that white papers were not and would not cover. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of the like first line of information of like, okay, here is all of the issues that um, would come to kind of fuel the civil rights movement. And the defender was kind of the first newspaper breaking those stories because predominantly white newspapers had a lot of self-interest in not breaking those stories, which is disgusting. Um, so, so shitty. she, Ethel Payne was like, like I just kept thinking about Forrest Gump where you like find out that he's at all of these like huge events throughout history because that was Ethel Payne in the civil rights movement. She was at fucking everything. She covered the um, McCarthy trials, which huge. Yeah. Um, she covered the adoption crisis that faced, faced African-American children. She covered single mothers and how that was its own crisis. Like she was covering everything. She was super aware and vocally critical of the fact that um, Brown versus the Board of Education, which for those of you who don't know, although I hope everybody does know, um, was the law that ended segregation in public schools. She was super vocal and critical of the fact that, yeah, that's great, but there was no, initially there was no set date for that to take effect. Yeah. How so do it was kind of like it, a lame like duck law at first. It. Yes. Right. Right. So she was like, what the fuck? Why is there not a time that this is going to start happening? Because we can say, yeah, great, it's ended. But if it's not actually set and, to end, then it's not going to. Yeah. And how are you going to enforce that and actually make it happen? It's, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Carry on. Right. So no, no, no. Don't be sorry. Please jump in on this because like I was literally like reading about this lady. I was like getting chills because it, she's just so smart and on it and doing such important stuff. So um, she was super aware that desegregation wouldn't happen, quote, unless some drastic action is taken to goad the lawmakers into action. Mm-hmm. That's a quote from her. She's not wrong. Um, which like. She's not wrong. And that can be applied to basically everything that's happening in 2019. Like there needs to be some serious so far. There needs to be some serious fucking loud action by people to get people to get lawmakers to do anything. Yep. And I feel like I feel like that sentiment needs to be echoed every single day, every day that needs to be echoed. Um. So after a pretty successful couple of years at the Defender, she becomes their Washington correspondent, which puts her in the room with the president. Yes. She is invited to press conferences because remember when that was a thing? When the president held press conferences and briefings? They were actually informative. Um, Uh, What year is this who's president? So funny you should ask. This is the early 50s that she becomes their correspondent um so it's eisenhower okay 
Um, at the time, she is one of three African-American reporters that has press credentials. Oh, my God. Right? I know. It's so gross. So um, at these press conferences, reporters would often ask pretty easy, not not easy because I don't think any foreign policy can be boiled down to something easy, but easy questions that had formulaic answers, I guess, is the best way to put it for the president. And then right. along comes Ethel, and she's notorious for asking the president hard questions that were about race relations in the U.S. So Good. asking him important questions about Asking him important questions that basically the answers were either going to be, you're totally right, or half the country is racist. Yeah. So Eisenhower. <laughs> so, okay. This incident happened. It, it's brought up in every single article about her. It's kind of the like turning point incident. Eisenhower was, he would frequently call on Ethel um, and answer her questions, but always kind of in a like placating way, like in a really politician-y way. Yeah. So in 1954, she's at a press conference of Eisenhower's. When he when he called on her, she asked, quote, Mr. President, we were very happy last week when the deputy attorney general sent a communication to the House Interstate and Foreign Commerce Committee saying that there was a legal basis for passing a law to ban segregation in interstate travel. I would like to know if we could assume that we have the administration report support in getting action on this. So like. Very straightforward. Pretty, very straightforward, very respectful, very um, just a normal question, <laughs> just a normal question about like, hey. What do you think about this? Eisenhower responded, quote, you say that you have to have administration report support. The administration is trying to do what it thinks and believes to be decent and just in this country and is not in the effort to support any particular or special group of any kind, which everyone that was in the room immediately took to understand, oh, civil rights and the issues that African-Americans face in this country is a special interest group and nothing more. So cool because cool, of this cool, cool 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 super cool super super cool. So because of this, she faced crazy backlash, which is crazy to me. Um, yes, no, that's she, her fault. Right, a hundred percent her fault. How dare she? How dare she ask Eisenhower that basic question of yes or no? Stopped calling on her. He stopped calling on her at future press conferences. Um, White House press secretary James Haggerty tried to have her press credentials revoked. Good. What a bitch. Yeah, let's silence um, her. That's great. To the point where he had her income tax paperwork reviewed. What? Like, they tried to shut her down because she was famous for coming into these press conferences and asking hard questions. She also, though, it is worth noting, got a lot of support specifically from reporters, which is great. Um, the Washington Post reporter Edward T. Foliard told her, quote, you asked the right question. In fact, we should have been asking those questions sooner, which yes. like, yeah, you fucking should have been with you. And it takes this lady to come in and fix everything. You're welcome. Oh, I'm so obsessed and with this woman. Singularly um, face the consequences. Of cowards yeah. that don't want to answer a question because they're racist cowards. Right. Yeah. So like the incredible, incredible 
lady that she was. She didn't slow down at all. It didn't even really phase her. She traveled to the South and she wrote, quote, uh, it was called The South at the Crossroads. And it was a series of articles um, just kind of detailing what all was happening in the South during the civil rights movement. So she was at the Montgomery bus boycott. She interviewed Rosa Parks. She yes, interviewed she MLK before he was known. MLK. She was yeah. like one of the first people to pick up on MLK. She um, talked a lot about how the civil rights movement was gaining so much more traction because suddenly instead of listening and following labor leaders, people were following ministers and people who had like, like human interests at heart rather than labor interests at heart. Um, so soon because of, um, her tenacity in Washington and then also in the South, she becomes known as, quote, the first lady of the black press, which yes. I love. In 1970, she became the first African-American woman to appear on a national news network when CBS hired her. And this is where I'm kind of like jumping around because working for CBS, she covered everything. I mean, she did international travel. She covered um Nixon, she went to Ghana and like covered a bunch of stories there. Like she was all over the place covering everything. Um, she understood that her voice was important and it's pretty cool because um, there was like a little snippet on one of the articles that I read that talked about how she saw her name listed in a list of like influential black Americans and it was listed alongside like Sojourner Truth and MLK and like all these Oof. people. And she was like blown away that her name was included. And like, it's just, Evan and I were talking last night about, it's so cool that she was alive to see her legacy. Yeah. It's yeah. just the coolest really thing. Cool. And it makes me want to cry. I know. I love it so much. Um, she was super aware that her voice was important and that, um, that it was okay for her to be a little biased. She told an interviewer a couple years before her death, quote, I stick to my firm, unshakable belief that the black press is an advocacy press and that I, as part of that press, can't afford the luxury of being unbiased when it comes to issues that really affect my people. And I plead guilty because I think that I am an instrument of change. Yeah. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Representation 100% matters. In, and in situations like the civil rights movement, you can't be unbiased. You have to pick a no. side because you have to pick a side of history that you want to be on. You know, also, like, yeah, because not picking a side is picking a side. hundred percent. Picking the shit side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just am so obsessed with this lady. Um, so Ethel died of a heart attack in 1991. Um, unfortunately, she is not a household name. And many people think that this is a signal of the exact racism that she tried so hard to fight. Of course Washington it is. Post wrote, yeah, Washington Post wrote in there, they did like a um, editorial memorial of Ethel Payne when she died. And they wrote, quote, had Ethel Payne not been black, she certainly would have been one of the most recognized journalists in American society. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking and probably true. It's very true because they actively tried to shut her up. Yeah. <sighs> yep. And like. When they're all. Yeah. It, you said there were what? Three black just, reporters at the time. Yep. So it allowed in the White House credentials right. line. So yeah. 
already it's like a I don't I don't know it's it's like they're getting giving themselves a pat on the back for including black reporters when it's not actually representing the black voice as much as it could right. be Ugh. yeah and like even um there was something that mentioned that she when she was down in the south she was considered to be covering quote the seg beat the segregation beat which like that should be everyone's front page yeah page story all the time yeah you know the the idea that that was a beat it's crazy to me that's it just i don't know it just is such a bummer that like not everybody like she should be like fucking Walter Cronkite, you know, yeah. she should be that level of awareness of historical American journalists because yeah. she was, she yeah. was, and she's not. And it, that's crazy. I mean, like I had never heard of this lady until this week. No, I had no idea. So in 2002, she was given a postage stamp along with three other American female journalists, Nellie Bly included, um, which like is cool, but you know, (laughs) step one, like small consolation. Like, okay. So the best sum up that I can think for her um, is at the end of one of my main sources uh, for this week was the Washington post, which I love because they, you know, like there's so much a part of her story and like, it's just yeah. cool. And it's written by James McGrath Morris, who's her biographer, Aww. which is even cooler. Um, and the last, it's a short paragraph, but it's the last little paragraph in that article says, quote, Payne's journalism invoked none of the angry name calling fashionable in the news media today. Rather, she brought only one weapon with her when she gained access to the halls of power on behalf of her readers. It was to ask questions that others were not asking and she got answers. Man. Doesn't that make you want to cry? Journalism. <laughs> it's so important. So important. I'm reading a book right now about, it's called The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks. And it goes, yeah. it is going, excuse me, in depth into mainly her life, but the whole boycott into the movement, into everything. And it is crazy how like how much they had to fight to even get coverage yeah it's yeah it's just the whole story is bonkers and the determination of those wonderful wonderful people in Alabama is unbelievable yeah and like I don't know it's just it just makes me think of the determination of current day to make journalism seem like a frivolous thing that they can just yeah. write whatever they want because yeah, that's really dangerous. That's yes, really, really dangerous when you are actively trying to turn an entire populace against journalism. Yeah. then you are de- 
determining that you are controlling the narrative. And that is so fucking scary to me. That's so it scary. Is, because it's the most dangerous. Because you and could do be whatever everybody. you want. It's so scary. Because and the point of journalism is to find the truth and to know the truth. Mm-hmm. So if you can't trust it to be the yeah. truth. That. Yeah. It's crazy to me that. um that that's not a huge red flag for every single person. And that some people are like, no, it's fine. Like, no, it's fucking not. It's not fine at all. And it's for this exact, it's like this story is the exact reason that that's not fine. Because if Ethel hadn't been asking those questions, nobody would have had to answer those questions and face the fact of like, yeah, half of our country is super fucking racist. Probably over half. Yeah. Yeah. Half conservatively. It also like, I think the people that say it's fine, whether they believe it's fine or not, are the people that their lives are not being affected due to privilege, due to wealth, due to whatever it is. I think Mm -hmm. that they haven't had to, face that and probably in the foreseeable future won't have to face that because they are safe for whatever reason. And so it doesn't matter to them. Old white dudes then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So that's the really incredible story of Ethel Payne and the really important shit that she did for her entire life. Oh, God. I was, like, researching this lady, like, on the verge of tears, researching her. And, like, just being so amazed that this woman exists and did such important work. And, like, I've never heard about her. Yeah. And that is so heartbreaking to me. It is. (laughs) That, like, that's even possible. How is that even possible? So, anyway. Because when... White people control the narrative. Everything is shitty. Yep. <laughs> so, yep, pretty much. As a quick source of my shit. Source of shit. Uh, womenshistory.org. It's an article just titled Ethel Payne by Ashley Anderson. And then the two, or sorry, that that is one of my main sources, the Washington Post article. Um, by James McGrath Morris, who is her biographer. He's got a book um, about Ethel Payne. So if you want to like read super in depth about her and everything that she did, go read that book. Um, I'm he's gonna great, and he, he this this guy shows up in like every single article as like being interviewed. There's an entire thing that I didn't end up using, so I didn't source it. But um, it's a really long form. I think it's PBS. It's a long form interview that that he does about Ethel Payne. And it's great. It's great. I didn't source it, though, because I didn't actually use anything from it. It's just him kind of talking about her and, like, what she did. And it's cool. solid. Um, uh, so the Washington Post article is called Ethel Payne, First Lady of the Black Press, Ask No Questions No One Else Would, which is a pretty solid synopsis. Yeah. Um, and then there's a Newsday article called Eye on the Struggle, Biography of Pioneering Black Journalist Ethel Payne, written by Wendy Smith, that I got a little bit of info from. And that's my shit. That's some and good that's shit. That's my babe. That's a great babe. Yeah. It, she's 
she might be my favorite babe that I've done so far. There's just, just so cool. And like, yeah, so important doing such important work. Yeah, it's such an important time too. Yeah. Oh God. Just love it. I love all of it so much. Yeah. Wow. I'm really glad she existed and I wish me, everybody knew her name. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Who's your babe of the week? Mm. Oh, um, I have two babes of the week this week, um, but they are in conjunction with one another. I I have to give a shout out to our our ladies, our babes, Karen and Georgia. Absolutely. Um, did you listen to their 200th episode this morning? I am about halfway through it. I just finished Georgia's story. Ugh. A, what a good story. Brutal. Oh, my God. Brutal. Brutal. And amazing. Yeah. It's and Karen's is so good. It's it's great. It's great. But I was listening to it today and it just warmed my heart and it made me like think back. That's two hundred just regular episodes, not counting mini sodes. That's easily what? Three hundred, three hundred and fifty hours that we've spent Easy. listening to them. Oh my God. Easy. Also, sorry for anybody listening who doesn't know who Karen oh, and Georgia is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. My bad. Uh, Karen and Georgia are the hosts of the podcast. Um, my favorite murder that Taylor tried to get me to listen to for roughly two years. And then I finally <laughs> did and binged everything. And now I get all excited on Mondays mm-hmm. and Thursdays when I get to listen to episodes. It's, such a great podcast and I'm so happy for them that it has taken off the way that it has. Oh yeah. Me too. It's a true crime comedy podcast that discusses true crime because a lot of us are obsessed with it and fascinated by it and also horrified by it. And so our coping mechanism is to laugh. And so they make us laugh emits the horrible and give us wonderful advice like stay sexy and don't get murdered (laughs) which is really dynamite advice um great advice but they're also really open about mental health and about addiction and recovery in many many forms it's it's just great and they have truly created a community that i love being a part of and i love randomly seeing a girl on the train with the stay out of the forest shirt, you know, like (laughs) I love having those little connections. There was a guy with a button on his jacket the other day. What did it say? Ah, dang it. It was one of the class. Oh, um, toxic masculinity ruins the party again. I have a shirt that says that. Yeah. It's like the logo with the old timey sketch of a dude. Yeah. It's all excited. Yeah. He had that on a button on a denim shirt, denim jacket. And I was like, Oh man, so good. Truly everywhere. I'm so on board with that. My Christmas wish is that Georgia Hardstark listens to this podcast. Oh, dude. Anyway, who's your babe of the week, Taylor? <laughs> um, I think my babe of the week has to be my mom. Um, dude, I love your mom. She's the best. She's, she's the best. Um, she. So she has had a tradition for the last like. I don't know, probably coming up on 10 years 
where all of our family out of state, she'll send them, she makes, um, she calls them her books. And it's a big, huge Shutterfly book that's basically a family yearbook of the year. Oh, yeah. And uh, my mom, well, kind of. Sorry, carry on. No, no, you're fine. Um, So she'll, that's like her present to family that's out of state for Solid Christmas. Presents. Um, yeah, she'll send them a book and then she'll send them a wreath. She's got like a, there's like a, I don't know, some company that like makes like fresh wreaths and sends them and you can like decorate them however you want. Um, and then send them and it's always been really cool. And like, you know, I've seen her ordering them and whatever. And we came home from work on Monday and we had a package and it was a wreath for us. And like, this is my first wreath from my mom. And it made me feel like such a grown up. And like, yeah. it was just so sweet. And I got so excited about it. <laughs> it's just the cutest. And it made me feel like, like, oh, man, it also it, like, it made me feel so nostalgic for like her ordering wreaths, but also like so much like, oh, man, this is me and Evan's home. Like, we're like, yeah. we're a family, you know, yeah. like, I keep getting hit with those like little moments of like, wow, like, Evan and I are married and like, we are a family now, even if we don't you have are. kids, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't it matter. Made me feel so... are each other's family. Yeah. It made me just feel so happy. And like, I just miss her and think she's the best and she hope that she best. listens to this. And I'm sorry for how much I curse, but <laughs> also thanks for the wreath. <laughs> also love you, mom. Yeah. Uh, also love you. Thanks for the wreath. I really love it. Will you send me a picture of your wreath and then I'll send you a picture of mine? Mine does not have Girl, you... any of that emotional attachment. I literally got it from Target on Black Friday. Excuse um, you. That's still great. But yeah, it's, I think, like, it's the yeah. first. This the, the Christmas decorations that we have right now are the first Christmas decorations that I have ever owned. And. Um, it's. Yeah, it, it's that immediately makes of... it an emotional attachment. Then, so what are also you talking about? It doesn't have any emotional us... attachment. I don't know if I sent you this picture, but my mom did send us a little like family Christmas gift, and it's an ornament of a little black lab looking up at the person, and it says Valkyrie underneath, and it's the cutest thing. Oh my god. So I wrote her adoption date. I'm going to poop. That's so cute. It's the, wow. I'll send you a picture. It's like Please all do. of the ornaments that we have on our tree right now are store-bought and of one like color scheme. And then there's a little black mm-hmm. lab looking up and it's so cute. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cute. This was great. This was great. <laughs> I love this. Every week <laughs> I'm always like, there's no way. That this is going to be as good as last week. Uh, Especially this week, because last week was so fun. Last week was pretty dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this was, was great. This was really great. And I love this. And I love you. And this is all just so good. Mm. Yeah. All of that. I second all of that. I wish that I could fourth all of that. What is it? Quad smart. Quad smart. God, if that's not the name of this episode, I don't know what it is. Has to be. It has to be. I feel like at some point we're going to have to post. So, um, you know, I keep that running list of like p- possible episode titles and Awkward. they are just gibberish. <laughs> They're <laughs> straight gibberish and I love them. Everything's taken out of context. So much. So I love it. Um, if 
you are still listening, follow us and subscribe to us. And then you'll get a little episode present in your inbox every Monday. And it'll just show up. You want us to do any work. So we'll do all the work for you. And then you get to just like learn about some ladies. You're welcome. Shit. You can find us on Fache Book and also on Twitter and also on Instagram and also at Gmail, all at Babetown Pod. So if you have things to say or if you want to see photos of these babes. Or if we got something wrong and you want to actually be like, quick line, um, this is actually the the truth. We'd be like, dope, dope, dope. And then we'll correct it. Yeah. So let us know. Um, Also, make sure and rate and review because that helps us. It does. um, Wow. I love this hard. I do too. I feel invigorated. Me too. I wish this lasted until 6 a.m. tomorrow when I had to wake up to go to work. Oh my God, you should text me all about it because I will be in bed with a cat. I never feel invigorated at 6 a.m. Well, I'll I'll hype you up while I'm leisurely drinking coffee. There's no way you're going to be drinking coffee at 3 a.m. your time. Oh, hard barf, bud. Yeah, that's what hard I'm saying. Hard barf. No, that won't be happening. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Don't text me. Correct. We are agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> do not text me. Whatever you do. <laughs> Uh, man i love you I love i'll talk you. to you soon okay sounds great poke your cat for me or something oh my god always snuggle your pup love you love you bye bye